wooden blocks. Known for being a toy. Famous for being a toy for babies. Nobody thinks much about them, so let's have some fun. Let's find out why wooden blocks are secretly incredibly fascinating. Hey there, folks. Welcome to a whole new podcast episode, a podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than people think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm not alone. Two guests join me this week. Jeff Rubin is an old pal of mine from my collegehumor.com days, because I worked at, at College Humor and at their sister site that they had for a while. And that was an amazing environment, a lot of amazing people. It was really formative for me. Jeff is one of the biggest reasons I was there at College Humor at all. Uh, He's also one of the key people who built that site. He wrote for them, appeared in videos for them, managed things for them. Jeff Rubin is also an amazing podcaster. He hosts the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show. It's his name twice. It's on the HeadGum Podcast Network, and it's Jeff doing some of my favorite interviews in the entire world. Jeff's show is Interviews You Never Knew You Wanted to Hear and Desperately Want to Hear As Soon As You Know They Exist. If you like what I'm doing at all, uh, you're going to love Jeff's podcast. Please check it out. And then on top of all that, Jeff Rubin is a game designer, and his newest game is called LiesGame.com. That is both the URL and the name of the game. And LiesGame.com is awesome. It's based on information. So, So again, this is right up your alley. And it's a game that's easy to play. It's easy to do socially distantly. You don't have to. You don't have to gather friends around a board or anything. It's all. It's all through the magic of the internet through LiesGame.com. And we'll of course have links to all that stuff. I'm also joined by Joel Stein, who is himself incredibly multifaceted and talented and just great. Joel Stein is a professional comedy writer for television and more. He's a journalist. Uh, He's also an amazing columnist. You might recognize his name from Time Magazine, uh, doing columns there for many years. And on top of all that, Joel is an author of many books. The most recent is titled In Defense of Elitism, Why I'm Better Than You and You Are Better Than Someone Who Didn't Buy This Book. End title. Uh, You want to be on that list to be elites. You want to do it. It's, a, it's obviously a tongue-in-cheek title. It's also amazing research, amazing analysis. He does a lot of on-the-ground reporting and going on adventures. Joel goes from incredibly rural Texas all the way to the mansion of Dilbert creator Scott Adams. And he does all this to find out what's going on in America right now and why. I'm also going to say Joel is a soothsayer. Because in his book, he describes a few kinds of American elites, and one of them is a wealthy, anti-intellectual Trump supporter, right? A wealthy, anti-intellectual Trump supporter. There's more to it than that, but those are the basics. And he coins a name for these people, which is the boat elites, because he feels that they're more interested in having a boat than, uh, you know, learning things, thinking about things, caring about other people. And Joel Stein coined that all the way back in October of 2019, way before a lot of the uh, recent boat parades and, and most recently, a few weeks ago, like a massive Trump boat parade where they didn't go slow for each other and their wakes like sank each other's boats. Joel like accidentally saw a lot of that behavior coming and I'm amazed by it. It's it's that good of a book. 
So Jeff Rubin and Joel Stein, two two pretty heavy hitting guests. I I maybe shouldn't have stacked them into one episode, but uh, I don't know. I like to have as much fun as possible right away. So here we are. Also, I've gathered all of our zip codes, and I've used internet resources like native-land.ca to acknowledge that I recorded this on the traditional land of the Catawba, Eno, and Shikori peoples. Acknowledge Jeff recorded this on the traditional land of the Lenape and Canarsie peoples. Acknowledge Joel recorded this on the traditional land of the Gabrielino or Tongva, and Keech and Chumash peoples. And acknowledge that in all of our locations, Native people are very much still here. That feels worth doing on each episode. And today's episode is about wooden blocks, which are an interesting toy in the galaxy of toy types, as we'll discuss. Uh, I picked them as a topic because I think they truly fit the podcast title. People don't think they're that amazing of a toy. Let's show you why they are. So please sit back. Or click together some Lego bricks, because you are too adult to play with wooden blocks, and not too adult to build a plastic X-Wing. And either way, here's this episode of Secretly Incredibly Fascinating with Jeff Rubin and Joel Stein. I'll be back after we wrap up. Talk to you then. Jeff Rubin, Joel Stein, uh, I thank you both for meeting each other and, uh, you know, gathering to talk blocks. Really excited. Oh, I'm sure we've already been to Temple together or gone to a Jewish traveling camp or something. <laughs> oh, no. Hello? This can't, this can't be the first time. <laughs> hello? Oh, man. Hey, I'm sorry. You guys there? My internet went out and it completely froze. But it seems like we're back. Oh. I, I don't believe it. I apologize. <laughs> we're still good? So is that what we say? If we don't have a funny quip, we just pretend the internet <laughs> went out. Is that how this game um, works? If my sorry, if my internet, if my comp- if I go off Zoom, I'm like still recording, so like you don't have to like pause or anything. It's just something with my internet. I apologize. Yeah. Keep going. Anyway, uh, thanks for having us, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> That's all good. <laughs> this is what we do. I'll write down what I say. I mail it to Joel. Joel <laughs> writes down his response. Mails it to Jeff. <laughs> This is it's Zoom times. We're doing great, and uh, and the topic today is wooden blocks. Um, and with every episode of the show, the first thing I ask the guests is, is what's your relationship to this topic or opinion of it? At any, uh, either of you can go first. But uh, but how do you feel about wooden blocks as a thing, Alex? I one of the things I love about you is your curiosity knows no bounds. Thank you. Uh, mine, however, apparently does, and it stops. <laughs> Long before wooden blocks. <laughs> I have a child. I was a child. Yes. None mm-hmm. of this has increased my interest in wooden blocks. <laughs> I've dealt with wooden blocks. I've been disinterested while I was dealing with wooden blocks. I, I'm already bored listening to myself talk about wooden blocks. I'm also not a fan of wooden blocks. I never had them growing up. I had Legos and a few other you know kind of construction toys, but never like kind of that classic wooden blocks. And I can even kind of remember playing with Lincoln Logs. I don't think I had had Lincoln Logs, but I have, like, memories of Lincoln Logs. But just that classic kind of wooden alphabet block is not something I've ever played with. And I actually kind of wonder if, like, maybe Lego has made wooden blocks obsolete. Like, maybe Lego's just a better toy that just kind of replaces it. (laughs) I'm going to argue that you might be wrong. You may have had wooden blocks uh, having 
raised a kid, you would have had them at such a young age that you might just not remember them. Whereas you oh. remember your Erector sets and your Legos and your Lincoln Logs. That's plausible, but they were never like around. And like a lot, I guess some, at least some of my baby toys and stuff were always around. And like, I never saw blocks. It is plausible. I had them as a baby and I just like, don't remember them. They're the first thing I got rid of <laughs> uh, as soon as my son was old enough. That makes sense, I guess. <laughs> because there was no chance that he'd ever, no kid likes them that much. It's not even, they don't even have sentimental value. <laughs> I've never met a kid who just can't wait to whip out the wooden blocks. It's something that's kind of forced on them because they're so boring. I believe <laughs> that, that people, in order to sell them, put like letters and numbers on them to make them seem educational in colors when I'm not even sure they are. Yeah. <laughs> what about like there's also those toys now where you put shapes into the holes? Like that seems oh, at least right. that like there's a, a game to play, you know, there's something to do. I get it feels so one flew over the cuckoo's nest, though. <laughs> Seeing kids do that, I'm like, oh. Well, I, because I myself, I, I happen to have two grandfathers who were both way into carpentry. Uh, one of them still is. And uh, and so we, ha- I had, like, pretty nice wooden toys that were just homemade. And so I'm, I'm pretty sure wooden blocks were, <laughs> like you described, Joel, like a really early step. And then, no, now it's onto the cool trucks and stuff. And my grandpa at one point made me a castle, which was just the most thrilling thing in the world. Like it had a shield with Alex written on it, you know? Whoa. Um, so I don't remember blocks. That's that's the other reason I'm confident I don't have, I never had wooden blocks is because all my toys were like plastic junk. And I love my parents and they were great to me and I was spoiled <laughs> or whatever, but like, they did not give, like, I didn't have any, like, wooden toys. Like, everything I had was oh, kind of, like, yeah. disposable and plastic and chunky. And that's, I think that's true for a lot of kids. Yeah. But I'm still confused. You, your grandfather made you wooden blocks? Wooden toys. And so I don't remember, like, a block set being part of it. Because I think he was too busy just making, like, vehicles and, and dinosaurs and stuff out of wood. It was amazing. Yeah. Do you think your parents were just like, some blocks would be nice? And he was like, nuh-uh. It's going to be a car and then a dinosaur. And they're like, just blocks is good. And he was just like so into the carpentry element. He's like, no, no, no. I think what Alex really wants is several cars with moving wheels and like all these elaborate pieces. (laughs) It is a very classic toy. Like if you said to someone, draw a baby playing with a toy, I feel like a lot of people are going to draw a kid with alphabet blocks. It's just like a very iconic toy. Even though you're right, like I don't, they don't seem very popular, you know. So like, there's something, something interesting happened here. I would never have come, I would never have thought too deeply about it myself. But I can, I can imagine there's something secretly interesting about this, uh, and I'm excited to find out. <laughs> well, I, I, I am now remembering what kids do with blocks, uh, and, and I don't think it's just boys either. But the thing that was appealing about blocks for my son and everyone else I saw in preschool is to build them as high as you can and either knock them down with your own hand or throw another block as if you're a block terrorist. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, that is fun. And knock them down. That is That that actually can occupy kids for quite a while. Yeah, destruction. That is pretty fun. Have you guys ever played Cube? It's kind of this like game you play. It's kind of in like I think, the uh, I think you're mis you're mispronouncing that. <laughs> no, no, no. It's Cube. I, I it's like Norwegian or something. It's sort of like Viking theme and it's a game where you like kind of it's like one of those it's kind of in the the can jam family of like games you bring to the park and it is actually like four adults like stacking wooden blocks and throwing them at each other it's a pretty fun game there you go mystery solved what's your next topic (laughs) i think i wrote a piece maybe i didn't i don't remember anything anymore for Babel about watching my son knock blocks down because it was um it felt like i was worried he was a terrorist because like he enjoyed so much. Build, the building was in order just to destroy it. Like the, 
the building was the, the unpleasant work you did yeah. for the fun, which is not a good instinct that kids have. <laughs> but it's like there is that is something important. Like you learn the right way to play with the toy and then you learn like, oh, if I get kind of creative, there's like some extra fun I can kind of squeeze out of this thing, you know? So oh. maybe there's some, a valuable lesson to learn there. Do you feel that way about terrorism in general? <laughs> <laughs> I guess it also makes me think of Jenga. Jenga's not, they're, they're more planks than cues, but Jenga kind of satisfies that instinct too of like yeah. watching the blocks tumble over. Right, like the game is don't knock it the, over, but you really want to see it fall down. Like it's pretty great what it does. <laughs> yeah. The thing I love about Jenga is that it's a game with no winner. There is only a loser. You can only <laughs> lose at Jenga. You cannot win. Well, guys, uh, I, I'm glad we all have at least some my parallel block experiences. And from here, we get into the segments. On every episode, our first fascinating thing about the topic is a quick set of fascinating numbers and statistics. And that is in a segment called... Can't seem to face up to the stats. Did, did. I'm adding numbers and I can't relax. Bum, bum. <laughs> wow. So I've heard Alex do this uh, on the podcast, but to to watch him do it online is a different <laughs> experience. You guys like it's like he knows what he's doing is wrong, but he just ha- can't help himself. And it was it was great. I love it. <laughs> it was like knocking down blocks, except to psycho killer. Is that psycho killer by the talking? It was. Heads? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, so okay. that name was submitted by Philip Reinhardt, who explicitly said to the tune of Psycho Killer. And we're going to have a new name for this segment every week submitted by listeners like you. Make them as silly and wacky as possible. The less good, the better. Submit your, your name for the numbers and statistics segment to SIFPod on Twitter or to SIFPod at gmail.com. Uh, and yeah, uh, like Jeff said, you guys get an inside look at me uh, uh, performing music, let's say. That's what's going on. It was a little bit like watching a kid, uh, a very sweet kid, knock down that block tower. Like you knew you were doing something wrong and you were thrilling, <laughs> thrilling in the fact that people were watching you do it. <laughs> um, the, uh, so yeah, we have the numbers and statistics here. And the uh, first of the numbers here is 10.4 billion US dollars, billion with a B. Uh, 10.4 billion is the annual global market for construction toys as of 2018, according to Grandview Research, which is a market research firm. Uh, obviously, that includes everything from Legos to connects to wooden blocks. Yeah, I want to see that pie chart. I mean, how much of that is Lego? Like, is over half of it Lego? I, I assume so, right? Yeah, and Lego is apparently the either first or second biggest toy company in the entire world all of the time. Like, they kind of loom over this topic of, oh, boring wooden blocks, because like you said, uh, Lego is just so dominant and exciting. They made a better mousetrap, yeah. kind of. Yeah. Wait, so the very first thing you told us about wooden blocks wasn't at all about wooden blocks? <laughs> well, it, uh, it includes wooden blocks. They're, they're considered a construction toy, even though you just kind of put them on top of each other. Yeah. Can I ask, at the risk of derailing this, did you guys have any alternate construction toys when you were a kid? Like, I had this thing called Capsella, which I've looked up and, like, was around for a few years, but it has been, since been... Uh, Joel's pointing at himself. You had Capsella? Hell yeah, I had oh. Capsella. I put it in the bath. I, and yeah uh, yeah yeah i also put it in the bath it was like kind of waterproof i am i think about it 38 yeah it's a little older i'm 49 and oh and there is very little on the internet about capsella because i've looked also constructs was another one i had and they were kind of like beams it was kind of like yes it was kind of like a proto connects where it was like beams that would connect and like i guess when you were done it kind of looked like a construction project because it was like all beam based Anyway, I just feel like there's like one, they, these kind of come and go. Connects is stuck around for a while now. But I like, so Connects is the plastic version. The, the one you're talking about had actual screws and bolts and little um, beams 
of metal yeah, with yeah, holes yeah. in them. I had that as well. Oh, no, no. That's like an erector set. Constructs was plastic, oh, sorry, sorry. and they, they snapped together. I never had an erector set. I, I never erector had that. Set. I feel like that's a little more old school. Yeah. Sorry, Alec, what were we talking about? Wooden blocks? <laughs> it is kind of cool, though, just like these, there are, and I think if you, I've been to Toy Fair, and like there's definitely like construction toy alley in Toy Fair, and there's like all these people like trying to f- come up with like the next Lego or the next wooden block, right? And like, there is something about building that's just like instinctual for kids, and it's, yeah. there's, there's always new building toys out there, and it makes sense, like, if you, um, if one hits, then you're like selling it forever. You're selling kits. Like I can see the attraction, and I guess it's an eleven billion dollar whatever that number was market. So it makes sense that like it's um, something people are trying to get in on, trying to get some of that money. Yeah, it's also the the firm that wrote it up has like a whole write up about exactly what customers want. And at one point, they describe quote parents and educationists, uh, which is like the most the weirdest market research term i've ever heard like just call them educators or teachers or something what sorcerers would call a kid yeah Yeah. (laughs) the uh next number here is more than 60 feet which is more than 18 meters Uh, that's what the guinness book of world records says is the tallest tower ever constructed from like regular wooden blocks is more than 60 feet tall that seems beatable. Am I wrong? <laughs> it's, it's like, <laughs> I feel bad to keep co- comparing everything to Lego, but I bet the tallest Lego sculpture is like a much more competitive record and uh, is much taller. Is it 60 feet? It's like how many stories? I guess it's like a six story building. Is that right? Yeah, that's about right. Well, and this one, it was built in a climbing gym in Lyon, France. Uh, and it was uh, uh, the guy who designed it had a team of people who climbed up and down the climbing wall to like stack more blocks on their increasingly tall tower. So maybe they were limited by like the height of the climbing gym. You know, I don't know. I guess what I think about is a six story building that is reasonably impressive that I will allow it. That is a pretty <laughs> impressive, uh, pretty impressive record. What are the yeah. things in the Guinness Book of World Records that don't make me sad? <laughs> And why did I read it as a child? <laughs> Just to make me feel better about myself that I wasn't like, oh, I don't have the world's longest nails, at least. Well, and, and Jeff, I think you've done some podcasting with either Guinness Records people or, or like an alternative version, right? Like, I, I, it seems like people yeah. really pitch themselves hard for it. Yeah, one is my friend Scott, who's usually on to talk about pizza, has uh, this company, Scott's Pizza Tours, and he has the Guinness World Record for the largest pizza box collection. And I think he wrote a book about it and he's written him up and he has a lot of interesting insights about pizza boxes. And the other thing is I actually talked to the guy who says the record for the most Guinness world records. And it's actually one of my favorite episodes of my own podcast I ever did because this guy is very interesting. Like he um, it's really about like mental. I mean, he actually comes at it from an angle and I, I try to describe it as best I can, like of meditation and like challenging himself like mentally and physically and, um, I mean, he's set like these really crazy records. Like he has somersaulted a marathon. Like when I heard he set has the record for the most records, I assumed he's just like, I don't know. I just flipped 50 pancakes. That's a record. Like, no, he has chased like totally insane records and he had to cut the recording short. He's like, yeah, my friend's coming over. He's going to throw watermelon at me and I'm going to try to cut him with a samurai sword. I'm practicing for a new <laughs> record. I was like, God bless you. Slake. <laughs> That's it. Best excuse for ending early I've ever heard. And um, yeah, it's, he's a really interesting character. And I'm not like totally, he has a much more intelligent and well-developed um, way of describing it, but uh, he's a really, it's really interesting. And like, it came from an interesting place. Like he didn't just want to like get the most records. Like it's a way of challenging himself. Yeah. Anyway, he never did this one as far as I know. It's more performative things. Like he pogo sticked up the CN Tower, like stuff like that. Like I don't think he ever did any like construction based stuff. I'm not sure though. 
What, what's his name again? So his name is Ashrita Furman, and his website is ashrita.com. That's A-S-H-R-I-T-A. I'm just going to read some of his records randomly. Milk bottle balancing on head, longest continuous distance, 81 miles. He set that one in April of 1998. Fastest mile somersaulting, 19 minutes, 11 seconds. That's November 2000. Juggling on a pogo stick. What do you think this record's going to be? Because this is going to surprise you. The metric is greatest distance. It's by distance. How, how Juggling on a pogo stick, how far did he go? How far did he go? Four miles and 30 feet. That was in January 2010. Also, he set that record on Easter Island, of all places. It's just like, why not? We'll throw that in there, too. Um, oh, yeah, I remember he did a lot of balancing things on chins. Um, fat Milk bottle balancing on head. Fastest half marathon run with a liter of a uh, bottle of full of milk balanced on his head, two hours, 33 minutes. Anyway, he's a really interesting dude, and like he's taken Guinness World Records to a really interesting place. Well, and, uh, and one last number here for the numbers and stats. The number is 74, uh, and this number comes up because we're t- going to talk partly about alphabet blocks today. And 74 is the number of letters in the Khmer language's alphabet, which is the most of any alphabet in the world. I was just curious uh, what, what the biggest uh, set could be. Cool. And it's it's this language spoken in Cambodia, also parts of Thailand and Vietnam. Wait, that's the language that, um, if you were able to read it, Pol Pot may have killed you for knowing all those letters. Oh, I hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah. Right? I assume that's the, the Khmer language, right, from the Khmer Rouge in, the, in Cambodia. Yeah. And it's probably pronounced Khmer, huh? But it, it's, it's this language, yeah. Uh, 74 uh-huh. letters. I guess not all of them are in use today. That's that long. Thanks to Pol Pot. <laughs> I wonder what their keyboards look like. <laughs> oh, if I find one, I'll link it. I want to see one. Yeah. It's like, do you guys ever see Ghost in the Shell? I'll be very brief. But in Ghost in the Shell, there's this one part where the dude's like, this dude's like using a computer and his fingers like all splinter into like a hundred little mini fingers so he can like use the computer faster because it's like, you know, all cyberpunky in the future. That is how those keyboards work. <laughs> You were right. You did keep it brief. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just like, usually when someone invokes ghosts in the show, you're like, uh-oh, here we go. But so I wanted to like, I was just like, I was bringing you in for just like a little taste of it, but I had a plan. Yeah. I had an exit route. Exactly. Well, and, uh, I think we can go into our, our big takeaways for the episode from here. Takeaway number one. Wooden blocks and alphabet blocks were invented in different countries by different people for different reasons, uh, which is just a long way of saying, like, like the wooden kind of block uh, that is mainly for construction was invented totally separately from the alphabet block, which turns out is like more of a literacy toy, huh. uh, which is a weird toy history thing. Wouldn't you have to invent wooden blocks in order to invent alphabet blocks? Like, if you've invented alphabet blocks, you've basically invented it. Just want to make sure I'm understanding this correctly, right? Yeah, there is, there is a little overlap in how they work. Uh, but there is like a, especially because they're educational, there's like a mindset thing where some people were like, I'm creating blocks to be stacked and constructed. And other people were like, if I put letters on blocks, it will fool kids into being literate. Wait, but Alex, are you saying, and again, I see everything through uh, an elitist versus populist lens because of my book. But are you saying that there was some people who insisted that wooden blocks were construction toys and they shouldn't be ruined by these people who are trying to co-opt it into some kind of read and write and arithmetic uh, tool. That There will be one point in the story where that kind of happens, yeah. So where were they invented? Where was each one, where and when was each one invented? Perfect question. So the uh, let's, do, let's do like wooden construction blocks first. Uh, obviously people have like stacked wood on top of itself before, uh, but the first like intentional wooden block toy that was very popular uh, was created in 1837. 
uh, and it was created along with the entire concept of kindergarten. So it turns out kindergarten was invented by one guy in Germany. His name is Friedrich Froebel. Uh, and our key source here is an episode of a great podcast called 99% Invisible. Uh, it's an episode called Froebel's Gifts, produced by Kurt Kolstedt. Um, but Friedrich Froebel was a forester and a land surveyor and at one point a crystallographer. And crystallography, you study like how crystals stack on each other in a, in a structure. And they think that in particular helped him be inspired to uh, create what are called Froebel's Gifts, which is a whole set of educational toys. And then some of them are wooden blocks that are meant to be stacked on each other in a like playful, creative way. So the guy who invented kindergarten, which is was so successful that we still call it kindergarten in America, even though it's the most German word imaginable. <laughs> yeah. The guy who invented kindergarten also invented wooden blocks and also several other educational toys. Am I getting that right? Yeah, that's right. He's secretly... And what were the other toys? Like, what I know the other ones? Was it like uh, the vacuum cleaner with the balls that pop up? Or Ooh. like anything like that? <laughs> I, I was about to do a joke of Hungry Hungry Hippos, but I don't know how to make that sound German and legible at the same time. You get it, though. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I like it as one word. Like, hippo hungerein. Like, I don't know. They actually have a word in German to describe Hungry Hippos. It comes up enough, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, the set, and uh, I, I sent you guys like a picture of a reproduction of one, but it's basically, uh, they're called Froebel's Gifts because you both gift them to children, and then also it's supposed to like bring out the creative gifts of a child. And so there was a prescribed order of letting the kid have thing after thing after thing. So like the first gift is just a soft ball, and then the second one is a wooden ball, and then it's like a cube is the next one. And so you go from there, and then one of the sets is a whole batch of wooden blocks. And they're supposed to kind of stack and be together as a, a plaything. Wait, we should sell this as a subscription box to newborn, uh, to, to parents who've had their first kid. Yeah, that's a great idea. That should officially happen, yeah. Use code SIF. <laughs> <laughs> When, do you, when did they invent, like, toys? Because I feel like once you invent the concept of toys, I feel like wooden blocks shouldn't be far behind. But it's funny how, like, hard it can be to invent these things when they don't exist yet, I guess. What were the first toys? Like, dolls, maybe? Or what were... Uh... Yeah, you, I would think there's, you know, based on my knowledge of Western movies, it seems like dolls were kicking around in the 1800s. <laughs> but, like, yeah, what, what was before that? I will tell you, as a parent, one of the most fascinating things, and you can just go to a park and observe this, is... No matter how many toys you buy your kid, they prefer sticks. They prefer <laughs> collecting them and stacking them, breaking them, and just like any, the kids will just gravitate towards sticks. Yeah, it's still like in their caveman brain. Like they just still have this survival instinct. It's like the same thing that like makes us love sugar or whatever, you know? It's just part of their brain still <laughs> reptile and is just like must play with stick, must build and construct with trees. <laughs> they're also just more interesting than whatever we can come up with. They're just more, they're more variation there's more stuff you can do with them they just they just beat these wooden blocks <laughs> and kids will most kids will take sticks to your house and want to either bring them inside or stack them outside because they find special sticks that they want to keep like kids uh kids and sticks are uh, scary <laughs> i like that I've, let's just construct a power rankings throughout the episode of best toys and blocks keep going down like we've got legos and then we've got <laughs> sticks uh and i'm trying to think of a worse toy than blocks hoop and stick <laughs> is pretty bad no actually hoop and stick's probably better you're running around hoop that's and stick's great what's a worse toy slinkies are bad because they get all tangled up they're good in theory but they get tangled up really easily you know that that really easily yeah What's a worse toy? 
Maybe like that gack that used to come with like old Ghostbusters toys, you know, and smelled really bad. I'm trying to like that. <laughs> that was bad. I'm trying to think of like other like real misses though. I mean, I guess the real misses just kind of go away, but boy, blocks. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's classic. It's classic. It is. And yeah, and, and the toy market's very Darwinian, right? Like if something is really bad, people just stop doing it. So for blocks to stick around despite badness is pretty cool. <laughs> right. I guess Baby's not a super discerning right. audience, you know? It's like <laughs> zero to six weeks old is about when you can fool someone enough to be interested in blocks or whatever. <laughs> and whatever age Alex is. <laughs> <laughs> right, just throughout the tape, I got plagued with blocks. It's really loud. Like, <laughs> <laughs> But so we got we to gotta make these kinds of blocks collide. And uh, so we've got... Uh, in Germany, they're starting to do kindergarten. It starts in 1837. Okay. Uh, and it's the emphasis is on like very creative construction and play-based learning uh, and a lot of the things we know in kindergarten today. And in 1851, the Prussian government bans it because it's Prussia. It's not Germany yet. And also they oppose like the liberal ideas that they see in it. But that doesn't stop kindergarten from spreading. And we get the first U.S. kindergarten in 1856. It was in the town of Watertown, Wisconsin, and was German language. Uh, 1860, we get the first English language one. And then kindergarten kind of grows from there. Uh, By 1885, there are over 500 kindergartens in the U.S. Uh, And all of them do this, like, specific Froebel method for a while. So they're like, each kid gets a Froebel gift, each kid gets blocks, and that spreads the wooden block as a a toy in America and the rest of the world. But what about the other Froebel's gifts? Are they not spreading wildly? Yeah, they're they're just sort of less cool components of, like, maybe that's part of why they thought wooden blocks were cool, is that the other gifts were much less exciting. Like, one of them is just a cylinder, and you're supposed to play with the cylinder and, and be creative with the cylinder. And that doesn't sound good, you know. Froebel is the perfect name for what I am. I, I imagine him as a professor, like Professor Froebel. It's just like the perfect name for a kindly old man who <laughs> has some crazy theory about uh, being nice to children and gifting them toys to enrich their development. You know, Professor Froebel is just like, yeah, I know I just you didn't say he was a professor. I did. But it just sounds like such a, a magical, fun, bubbly person. On the other hand, most stories about people who did things for children end with them molesting children. So did, yeah. did, does Froebel... Before I get too excited about this guy. <laughs> yeah, nothing... It seems like he just really wanted to do a really nice job of uh, making kids happier and smarter and, and wiser. But Fro- Froebel's clean. Yeah. Nothing horrible about Froebel. Well, that's just... That's lovely. Great. I mean, I wish he'd come up with <laughs> cool. a more fun toy, but, you know, that's it's a nice thought. <laughs> just couldn't. Because <laughs> also the, the other... The, and the 99% visible gets way into it, but kindergarten ended up being really influential for art and also for architecture. Uh, and they cite a bunch of people like uh, like surrealists like Paul Klee and Wassily Kandinsky who who went through kindergarten and that was an influence. And then uh, Frank Lloyd Wright never went to architecture school, but credited Froebel's gifts as being like an early influence on him being an architect. Uh, so it's a spatial toy that really changed how uh, apparently the whole thrust of art and architecture went in history, which is very it is, cool. It is crazy that kindergarten is such a big deal that like our grade system is one through 12, but grade zero is K. Like we've still right. haven't quite like organized, like we haven't like bumped the other numbers just up one or something. It is like this special thing that stands out. What's our, how, when, how like how much education does your kid need? K through 12. What? Like, that's not how numbers and letters work. But it's kindergarten so big. It was, it was such, it made such a splash that we're still just like, yeah, the grade zero is called K. 
And let's look at the alphabet blocks, where they come from. The alphabet blocks kind of surprisingly date even before these these official Froebel wooden blocks. And it's partly because they were influenced by dice. And and our main source here is a great site called tedium.co. There's an article by Ernie Smith. But he finds that the the like credit for the first idea of alphabet blocks should go to Sir Hugh Platt, who was an English writer who like documented inventions and invention ideas. Uh, and so he wrote a book in 1594 uh, that described alphabet dice as something that kids could be given to play with where you, quote, cause four large dice of bone or wood to be made, and upon every square, one of the small letters of the cross row to be graven. Uh, and then from there, the kids play with the dice and, and learn letters by throwing them. That's the idea. Wow. Because d- dice are, like, ancient, right? Like, dice have been around for hundreds of years. Is that correct? Yeah, he the, the article claims 5,000 BC is the first recorded dice. Yeah. It's funny that we had dice, but it took a long time to put it together that like, oh, like stacking a lot of these dice might actually be fun for kids. And then like also like what what if we put something on the side? It's like there was for thousands of years we were using them to gamble without like stopping to consider that maybe it could be used for education as well. Gambling's way more important than children. I mean, think of the amount of cities on earth that are devoted to gambling and then think of the amount of cities on earth that are devoted to children's games. It's true. <laughs> I guess Orlando and Anaheim. I guess I'm wrong. I'm wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. Where, wherever Legoland is in Denmark. Yeah, I'm totally wrong. <laughs> there should It should be casinos versus theme parks or whatever. Like, that should be the battle. Yeah. <laughs> sounds better than the wooden block episode. Like, <laughs> thinking about it, there's. I'm not a religious expert, but there's a lot of gambling in the Bible. Like, the Bible talks about gambling some deal and i don't know if there's are there any toys in the bible does anyone like ever reference like you know noah's kid is like a toy boat or anything like that the one the one bible thing jumping to mind for me is the verse about putting away childish things uh, which is anti-toy oh that's true that's true that's true that is true. It's an anti-toy book. What do you think that- but it must it must mean there were there were childish things like they existed you know (laughs) in in biblical times what if what if childish things was a brand name at the time and it was product placement? Like put away childish <laughs> things. Well, and, uh, and then the other there's one other person who is uh, at least credited widely as being a key alphabet black person, which is John Locke. Uh, so another British person uh, and like the famous philosopher who contributed to the the American Declaration. The guy from Lost, yeah, stuff, yeah, right. The guy from Lost, correct. <laughs> Next thing here is a big trumpet sound for a big takeaway. Before that, we're going to take a little break. We'll be right back. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! 
It's hard to explain what happens on Jordan Jesse Go. So I had my kids do it. Saying swear words. Saying swear words. Yeah, um, bad jokes. Bad jokes? Bad jokes. Maybe it's like you tell people that you're going to interview them, and then you just stay there like, like really quiet and try and creep them out. <laughs> it's just really boring. Because of Jordan, right? Not me. Because of both of you. Oh. Subscribe to Jordan Jesse Go, a comedy show for grown-ups. Uh, and then here's how this stuff uh, collides, which is you have kindergarten going on in the in the U.S. now, and there was a lady named Elizabeth Peabody who founded the first English language kindergarten in the U.S. in 1860, and she went to Milton Bradley which was still a person at the time. Like it was not a not just a company, it was the guy. That's one person? I don't know why. I always assumed Milton and Bradley were two different people. Like, you know, like it was their combined Yeah, first and name. last name. One guy named Milton yeah. Bradley. Love it. <laughs> but she she just brought him an actual set of Froebel's gifts and said, like, you should just manufacture these and they can be for education and it'll be awesome. And he said, great, I'm going to manufacture these kind of blocks and stamp letters on them because then I'll be the only person doing that, and I'll make a lot of money. Uh, and so in 1870, Bradley's original kindergarten alphabet and building blocks uh, hit the market and were a huge hit. Uh, and from there, we had like mass-produced alphabet blocks that were also stackable and also usable as blocks. And they have numbers on them as well, right? Or just the letters? Yeah, I found a, I found a picture of like an old set of them from around the turn of the century, around 1900, and they had like some letters and also some entire pictures of animals labeled with the animal's name. Like it was a really loose system going on. And so, so Milton Bradley rolls out alphabet and building blocks. And then from there finds that kindergarten is a really successful piece of branding. And so from there, Milton Bradley and other toy companies just start making stuff for children, calling it for kindergarten. And then from there, the toys and the whole concept of kindergarten becomes like uh, kind of generic, you know, at least it's not tied to this Froebel guy in any specific way. Uh, so it changes how kind of education works and toys work. When is that? When did Milton Bradley, like, live? I, it might be the 20s. It might be, like, the 1850s. I have no idea. No, it was uh, 1836 to 1911 was his life. Wow. Uh, and 1870 was his first blocks with Alphabet on him. He built a company that lasted for so long. It's still around, you know? Yeah. Like, you still know his name and kind of associate it with, like, what, you know, kids toys I, I specifically think of it for board games and not toys i don't know if that's right but uh sure yeah and then uh this takes us into takeaway number two lincoln logs were inspired by frank lloyd wright and his son designing a japanese hotel and fighting the whole time and i'm including lincoln logs because they are a stacking wooden toy oh hell yeah because i do remember lincoln logs like i said before so i'm i'm excited to talk about this but wait did, did you just say Lincoln Logs were inspired by Frank Lloyd Wright and not Abraham Lincoln? Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. I think Lincoln Logs were invented by Frank Lloyd Wright's son, who was an architect. Is that wrong? Yeah, you're right. That's the story. Yeah. yeah. I don't know why I assumed Abraham Lincoln was, like, personally involved in the origin of the toy. I, it's just like... <laughs> well, that's the marketing. That's not your fault. That's what they're trying to sell you. Is Lincoln Logs, like, a trademark is it a copyright or whatever like someone owns the name i can't like produce my own link like i can produce wooden blocks i can't produce legos are lincoln logs a copyrighted name they are yeah that someone owns the rights to yeah it's an owned brand name and and very specific yeah and another company early on tried to knock them off as frontier logs and it just didn't take off yeah 
Well, there's a lot of Lego. Like, you see, it's not hard to find, like, stuff that is exactly the same as Lego, you know, and, like, just a different company kind of doing their approach at Lego. But it's never quite as good. It really isn't. Like, there's some, like, the, it's never the same. Yeah. No. Yeah. They yeah. click perfectly. What What's the deal? The, the Is it the Imperial Palace Hotel? Is that still there wow yeah yeah joel you know you know the story it's uh yeah it was a thing called the imperial hotel in tokyo japan that frank lloyd wright designed uh with his son helping out and it was uh, demolished in the 70s but they built it in the 20s yeah and what's there is there something there now i went to tokyo and this all seems like vaguely familiar yeah i think they replaced it with like a high-rise hotel uh but because the so there's this weird thing in japan which you wouldn't expect because they of the way they think of history but the, I'm not sure if it's because they think in such long, expansive history, but they do not have any respect for their architecture. They will tear down anything. In fact, I met a guy who takes old, beautiful post and beam houses that are about to be destroyed in Japan and moves them because they're so easy to take apart because they're Lincoln Logs, basically. Post and beam doesn't have any. And he takes them apart at great expense and moves them basically to this town outside of Tokyo and resells them as houses. That's amazing. But anyway, they will, they have, you can say this house is like 300 years old. They're like, whatever. And they just tear them down and build new things. It seems very un-Japanese, but it's all, the whole country's like that. And of course, mo- so this, this hotel survived the, the firebombing of Tokyo. And to take it back one step, um, the second son of Frank Lloyd Wright is John Lloyd Wright. And he'll ultimately be the creator of Lincoln Logs. It, it seems like... Frank Lloyd Wright was maybe a hard father to be around. Frank Lloyd Wright and his son John fought so much when John was a kid that John left home as a teenager and went all the way to California from Illinois uh, and tried to do like any other career and then just ended up finding he was good at drafting and architecture and getting into it. Um, And then in an attempt to like reconcile, Frank invites John to come along for this trip to Japan to build this hotel. uh, And the hotel is... Not a high rise at all. It is that kind of post and beam thing. And I sent you guys pictures. It's like very square, very blocky. It looks like it's made out of Lincoln Logs, kind of. Um, and so they built this hotel in the 20s and it survived a massive earthquake. It survived the US bombs in World War II with only foundation damage. Uh, and it's because it's an incredibly sturdy structure. Uh, and that ended up partly inspiring John to say, that's a toy. Wait, I'm, I'm looking at it. It doesn't have. It doesn't have as much wood as one would expect from either a Frank Lloyd Wright house nor a, a, a Tokyo house nor a uh, guy who invented Lincoln Long's house. Like it, it, it's yeah, because most of Japan was destroyed during World War. II. I mean, most of Tokyo was destroyed during World War II because of the firebombing and because it was you know a city of wood. But this looks like it may not have been. Yeah, that one that one survived it, and it was also uh, it was part of a style called Mayan revival, where the idea was to imitate sort of Mayan pyramids. Right. Uh, and so it's also kind of built in that blocky way for that reason. And I'm sorry, what year was it built? It was built 1923. So this is, okay, so I have a house that was built in 1922. There's a, a fireplace right near where I'm sitting that has, doesn't fit in with the house. It's got a shiny blue brick, right? But, but we saw pictures of the original house and I'm sure underneath there, although probably destroyed with plaster is a really cool smaller fireplace made of stone with these monkeys on the uh in, in you know carved into it oh, uh and it was it was yeah. part of that mayan thing and i'm sure you know 10 15 20 years later people were like 
what a weird fad everyone bought into that they like try to make their houses Egyptian. I'm sure it looks super, or Mayan rather. It's a, a pretty specific LA architecture thing, but this is the other project he was working on with this hotel was the Hollyhock House, which is in Barnstall Park in uh, like Los Feliz, LA. Which I live right next. next to, I live yeah. right near there. Oh, I used to live there when I lived in LA. Yeah. That place is nice. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. I have a question. Are Lincoln Logs fun? Because they seem kind of limited. Like, you can do one thing with them. It's kind of fun. And I guess if you're a kid, it's pretty satisfying to, like, fit them all together. And they all fit together nice. So you can't really mess it up. But, like, I don't know. Then you're done. Like, you can't, like, build multiple things with this. Like, you basically build, you know, cabins. Are, uh, are they fun? I think not. I think they have very limited appeal. I think the reason that they exist for so long in kids' room is they came in a nice tin so you're, oh. you yeah, were less, the storage. first of all, a tin took up a lot of space. So it was likely to just catch your eye in a room. Uh, and mm-hmm. secondly, it was hard to lose all the pieces compared to most toys because they went into this tin. That's true. I thought, I thought. And also they're yeah. just like big chunkers, you know, mm-hmm. like you can't, like it's hard to, it is fun to like, op- like tear off that plastic lid and just dump them all out on the ground. Well, That's fun. Well, I am yeah. 49 and that was one of the few toys when I was a kid, that was not plasticized yet. It came in a metal tin, I believe, and they were actual wood. Now, I've seen them since then. They've become plasticized. But it was like the only, like, 1950s, because everything I bought was plastic. Yeah. And it was like the one thing that still felt like it came from the 50s. Yeah, because I had Lincoln Logs. And one thing in defense of them, and this, this was in their original marketing, too, is that, like... They're a toy you can use with other toys. Like, it's not just that you can build whatever cabin you can think of with them. Oh, it's like then G.I. Joe well, can like hang out. Exactly. And for, especially as a boy, it was like, my action figures can live in a log cabin. Like, yeah, that's masculine. Sure. Oh, but, so it's that kind of thing. Too. It was it was boy dollhouse. <laughs> the Ninja Turtles love log cabins. I guess they actually do retreat to that cabin in the first movie. So it's not totally crazy. Based on the events of Ninja Turtles 1, I guess it could work. I guess it could work. <laughs> It's like Rambo or MacGruber or something. Yeah, they run, they go there yeah. <laughs> to restore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so also there's a thing where Frank Lloyd Wright and John Lloyd Wright kept fighting. And apparently, and the, the reports vary, but Frank either uh, underpaid John on this Japan trip or didn't pay him at all and said, like, what? You're getting an education. Uh, and so this led to more fighting and they became estranged again. And John responded by going from Japan all the way back to Chicago, starting a toy company and starting up Lincoln Logs. They debuted in 1918 uh, and they were successful, but then he struggled to come up with any other hit toys and sold off the brand in 1943 for $800. So it's still a brand. It's still been owned by Milton Bradley and Hasbro and some other companies, but it was Milton Bradley. There he is again. He's back. (laughs) But yeah, but it's a toy that uh, it was marketed as America's national toy. It's in the National Toy Hall of Fame now, uh, which is a thing. And and it's something that sprang from Frank Lloyd Wright's son having a terrible time with his dad and and leaving Japan in anger. It's it's really fun to me. I don't know. One last question. Is there any real connection to Abraham Lincoln or is it just marketing? Like, does Lincoln's oh. cabin, at, was it actually made of logs? Like, like did he even have yes. a log cabin? Like, I'm <laughs> yes. questioning everything now. Like, so the... the the connection was real, but it was just uh, marketing. So the other the other weird thing is, uh, and the reports vary, but there are two potential origins of the name Lincoln Logs. And one is that it's a reference to Abe Lincoln, especially because it's a Chicago company and it's an Illinois thing. The other is that apparently Frank Lloyd Wright 
might have been named Frank Lincoln Wright at birth. Uh, and Britannica says that, a biographer says that, that Wright's initial middle name, there was confusion whether it's Lloyd or Lincoln, and he settled on Lloyd, but it might be a reference to John's dad. Uh, having a secret middle name. Huh. Wait, this is this is QAnon. This is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing about that was believable. Making making it up now. It really sounds like I'm saying Frank Lloyd Wright's a lizard person or something. But that's apparently a potential <laughs> origin. Yeah. <laughs> I think from there we can go uh, into takeaway number three. Modern wooden blocks tend to make a statement that's anti-sexism and anti-technology, and also often pro-capitalism. Give that to me again. Give me that list again. I gotta... Yeah. Modern wooden blocks, they often tend to be, like, specifically anti-sexism. Anti-sexism. And also anti-technology. Okay. uh, And then pro-capitalism. Like, I'm just talking about their broad role in the world of toys and and the market and everything. That tends to be the the space they inhabit as a modern toy. Yeah. We're talking about Melissa and Doug, aren't we? Yeah, that's one of the big things, yeah. Yeah, that's the one we had, I think. Those are the one they they came from all people in my demo to send us Melissa and Doug toys. Oh. And they were all made of wood, which was supposed to, you know, in that hippie way, reject modernity. And so I get that. I, I don't feel like they're, I guess they're the one toy that aren't gendered. That you're not buying someone a doll or a gun or something. Right. right. Let's do them one by one. And yeah, and Melissa and Doug, Please. you're absolutely right, Joel. Is And for people who don't know, Melissa and Doug is the name of a toy company. It's named after its founders, Melissa and Doug are their names. Uh, and they make um, blocks that have been especially popular since around the year 2000 is one of their big things. I feel like Melissa and Doug, I don't know them personally. I don't know them very well. As a brand, they just seem way too nice to build a company that's going to last 150 years like Milton Bradley. Like they seem <laughs> completely unwilling to steal ideas from old women and like seems like they just want to make like nice toy mops. And that's lovely and all, but check in in the year uh, 2120, see if Melissa and Doug are still around, you know? <laughs> are they, I want to, if they're, if and when, I hope this doesn't happen, they get divorced. I want to write about that. Oh, yeah. How is their marriage? Seems good. Be specific. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Just what's going on? Because our in this section, there's there's two big sources. One of them is a Vox article called "How Melissa and Doug Captured the Toy Market One Wooden Block at a Time" by Shavi Lieber, and then the other source is a book called "Designing the Creative Child: Playthings and Places in Mid-Century America" by Amy Afogata. Uh, that book in particular uh, brings out this gender element. Like uh, to a lot of different experts, they'll they'll argue that blocks, especially wooden blocks are a pretty revolutionary toy today because they were one of the few toys that was not gendered uh, and especially was encouraged for, like, girls to construct. Uh, There are a lot of, like, boy toys, like erector sets that are for building things, uh, but girls were encouraged to build blocks. I mean, they're literally called erector sets. Yeah. (laughs) Right, like, Phallus Industries was taken, so you gotta do that. (laughs) And... uh... (laughs) I think this kind of happened with games and video games as well. Like video games were initially something that was enjoyed by children of both genders equally. But then for some reason, I think maybe it was related to the video game crash, the early eighties. Like they just kind of ended up in the boy toy aisle and like all games became like war games and, you know, uh, like a lot of shooting and sort of things that are traditionally associated with boys. And that was the case, I think for a long time, it's starting to come back. And I think there's like more diversity in the types of games and the audiences people make games for but for like my childhood like they really marketed games at boys 
for what in retrospect was like no really good reason, you know, <laughs> like there was a, it was just like sort of sexism. And I guess I wonder if it was similar. Is it similar with blocks where they're just like at some point hit on the idea like, Oh, there's a boy toy. No, they, so toy blocks, uh, basically throughout their history, there hasn't really been a push for them to be for one or the other gender. Oh, there is not. Yeah. And there's also, um, Lincoln logs, not only cause they're wooden stacking toys, but also I brought them into this cause Lincoln logs advertising from jump, like the copy said it's for boys and girls. There would be pictures of boys and girls playing with them. Like the 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 wooden block for some reason just hasn't had that like this is only for boys or only for girls labeling put on it that so many other toys have. But what about you sent us that image that was like this is for bo- attention boys. Yeah, we'll like have, it, have it linked on the Patreon. The the first ad campaign for Erector is really funny because almost the entire print ad is just a spl- like a splash panel from comics of the words "Hello, boys!" exclamation point because uh, it's extremely gendered from yeah, drum. like yeah. like Mae West just <laughs> entered the room. A big old "Hello, boys!" <laughs> <laughs> um. And yeah, we'll also link, uh, there's a great New Yorker piece by Emma Allen where she talks to Juliet Kinchin, who's a MoMA curator and an expert in Central European modernism, uh, which is not so important. But uh, this MoMA curator says, quote, one of the revolutionary things about blocks is that girls could be architects, builders with these toys uh, as easily as boys, end quote. Because, yeah, they're just blocks. They're not like obviously for fellas or something. That's great. Cool. Good for blocks. Good for blocks. Yeah. A reason to be excited about them. Yeah. So our blocks, that's a solid gift to bring to a gender reveal party. That's right. Uh, unless it's one that starts a fire, I guess then they burn up. But yeah, otherwise, <laughs> it's really good. No one I know has actually had a gender reveal party. I don't know if that's a compliment to the people I know. I don't know if it's like a regional thing, but uh, I've like read about them, but I've never actually gotten to experience one. Seems dumb. Are you just not invited <laughs> to a lot of parties? <laughs> I guess I guess not. Now that you have you been it. to like have you been to like a birthday party? All of my friends are just sad single men, so that's the other problem. Yeah. <laughs> <Got it. laughs> so, okay. I gave someone. I'm now remembering. I have two friends that are both into science. They're both like you know really into science and like uh, science education. And they had a baby, and I got them toy blocks with like the um the kind of chemical periodic table cool. symbols on them i don't oh, know you know like that's great that rules is it i i i don't know does it like i kind of <laughs> worry that i got i guess i got that like it's like 70 percent i don't know it's maybe 50 50 who it's for the kids or the adults you know like the baby's not actually gonna learn like chemical symbols but you know like the two letter acronyms for but all the chemicals you still got the letters you're fine yeah. i guess no, you got you, the letter you, you, that was good that was a good gift it was a good gift Except that they're wooden blocks. <laughs> right, right. Well, I think I was looking for something science-themed, and, like, there's, I guess, this, is what, yeah. this kind of is what we've been talking about the whole episode. There's not a lot of science-themed gifts for, like, mm. newborn babies, because, like, they don't have a lot of capacity. So, like, I somehow stumbled on this, because this is something that newborn babies can play with. They can at least paint science words on it or whatever, you know? With the thing of trying to get, like, toys for a little kid. In in modern times and digital times, wooden blocks have, like, ended up becoming something that is accidentally kind of anti-technology or anti-screen time or, or you know, anti-making all of your, your child's toys light up and do electronic things. Right. Uh, and it's partly because, apparently, I, I didn't know this because I'm not buying toys for kids, but apparently, As like, a rule? Like a moral thing? Or it just, why don't you buy toys for kids? <laughs> You just don't think they should have them. Okay. 
I buy them tools for work. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> Alex thinks the work of <laughs> Professor Froebel is actually very controversial and not backed by science. Kids should not receive gifts. They should be strictly disciplined. <laughs> but uh, so like apparently some of the newest kids toys, uh, and this is from this Vox article about Melissa and Doug, they say that uh, there's one child's potty sold by Bye Bye Baby that features an attachment for a tablet. Um, there's a Fisher Price teething ring that has a slot to insert a smartphone. Whoa! There is a there was a Fisher Price infant bouncy seat where you can snap an iPad into the top of it, and then it hovers over your baby, and it, they play with that. Oh yeah, that uh, is like there's there's all kinds of things like that out there, and so some people say blocks are different. I want that, but no one's made. There's no high tech block. As far as I can tell, no. Yeah, there must be like some sort of like smart wooden block out there. They're like. This is wooden blocks, the classic toy. Reimagine for a new generation. These blocks connect to an yeah. app and, like, you know, track your progress and how high your child's building them. I, I'm actually surprised somebody hasn't done a Minecraft branded wooden blocks that are electronic. Oh, Minecraft! I'm surprised that hasn't happened. That's I. I haven't even thought That's about it. Minecraft is, of course, wooden block inspired. Yeah. With the third thing of wooden blocks being kind of pro-capitalism is that because blocks are in this zone where they are not technological and they are uh, not gendered and they are seen as a very authentic and creative and pure way to play, there is then a lot of money in making wooden blocks. One of the big reasons there's like a big market for wooden blocks is that there's a big market for wooden toys in general. Uh, And this book by Amy Afogata really gets into the idea that like in the mid 20th century, wood became a high end toy material because there was so much plastic starting to be around. And so people said, oh, like if it's an amazing toy, it should be made of wood. As she says, uh, quote, among the educated middle and upper classes in the US, wood became the material symbol of timelessness, authenticity, and refinement in the modern educational toy, end quote. And so like this, this block company, Melissa and Doug, they can charge a premium for just wood because wood is something that especially American parents have come to believe is like special and magic and pure. I think Montessori schools also, uh, all their toys are made of metal yeah. or wood. There's like, there's no plastic, I believe. Yeah, they have a set of pink stacking blocks that are apparently the core toy of all Montessori yeah. education. I feel so lucky to have grown up in the age of just cheap, plastic crap from you know like (laughs) from overseas like i just like so many like mcdonald's transforming robots and just crap just pure junk like that i really did like all my toys are just really junk and i love them very deeply but that's 90 percent of america we're just talking about this like very woke progressive set that's buying the melissa and doug toys they just happen to have articles in vox and the new yorker and yeah but also like when we were kids you know that kind of elite coastal group of people still went to mcdonald's and holiday inn and we got our plastic toys now like those kids never even go to a mcdonald's and never you know they have to like separate they have to have a totally bespoke experience with the wooden blocks yeah i guess that's right yeah so wooden blocks i guess still around persistent that's what i'm learning like cockroaches they're just like they're not going anywhere so alex when you say capitalism though what you really mean is like um in the Bernie Sanders way of like the 1% have wooden toys. You don't mean that there's something specifically more capitalist about them. Yeah, yeah, I think that there's like... It's just a defining set of a rich group. Yeah, ex- I, uh, that's exactly right. Yeah, uh, that's probably a better way to put it. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, like there's like a, a set of people who are like, we're the wooden toy folks and we're, we're at that level. 
There's yes. also the Vox article also points out that apparently part of the success of Melissa and Doug Black's dovetails with social media taking off because like they look great on something like Instagram in a picture. Makes sense. And they quote a New York City interior designer named Jody Popowitz who says, quote, when designing nurseries, I use them, the wooden blocks, for decorating because they're the perfect toys to go on a bookshelf. I do find that some of the toys are even more appealing to the eye than easy for kids to play with, end quote. Because like a wooden block, it just looks awesome in a picture versus uh, some kind of weird plastic thing that looks uh, not like that. I feel like if you Google like baby clip art or just if you play word association with baby, like wooden block, it's just like the thing you depict babies having. It's just it's so iconic. I said it before, but it's just like it's the thing like along with like baby bottle. It's like one of like the key objects of babydom is wooden blocks. But only when it's when it has the letters, only if it has ABC, because we're somehow like (laughs) we get the double association of both playing and like they don't even know their ABCs yet. Like right, right, right. The, yeah. the plain wooden ones, I don't picture. That's true. That's true. It's always the first three letters in a perfect, like picture perfect way. Yeah, they're never down in the lower part of the alphabet. Those are the only ones they should sell. <laughs> what kind of? I'll be a weirdo kid with the X Y Z. I feel like I see I see ABC and I see X Y Z. I never see those middle middle letters. Like no one ever has an L M N O block. You know. <laughs> this is part of your QAnon thing, isn't it? <laughs> You're not sure those letters even exist <laughs> q anon right <laughs> right where is it folks that is the main episode for this week my thanks to jeff rubin and to joel stein for being wonderful on this and and being wonderful together. Like they had never met before and and I think they were uh, just bouncing off each other in such great ways. Really cool. Also, I said that's the main episode because there is more secretly incredibly fascinating stuff available to you right now. If you support this show on patreon.com. Patrons get a bonus show every week where we explore one obviously incredibly fascinating story related to the main episode. This week's bonus topic, the great 1997 Lego spill. So if if you wanted more Lego stuff and less block stuff, head on over to the bonus show. That's where it is. And it's there in the weirdest way possible. Visit sifpod.fun to find out what that is and to back this entire podcast operation. And thank you for exploring wooden blocks with us. Here's one more run through the big takeaways. Takeaway number one, wooden blocks and alphabet blocks were invented in different countries by different people for different reasons. Takeaway number two, Lincoln Logs were inspired by Frank Lloyd Wright and his son designing a Japanese hotel and fighting the whole time. And takeaway number three, modern wooden blocks tend to make a statement that is anti-sexism, anti-technology, and geared toward people at the top of the capitalist structure. Special thanks to Joel Stein for helping me, like, iron out that last one. Those are the takeaways. Also, please follow my guests. Jeff Rubin hosts his own podcast on the HeadGum Network, which is an amazing network you should check out. And his amazing show is called The Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show. Also, head to liesgame.com to play Jeff Rubin's new game. It's called liesgame.com. And then Joel Stein's book is titled In Defense of Elitism, Why I'm Better Than You and You Are Better Than Someone Who Didn't Buy This Book. That podcast and that game and that book are all 
up your alley. If you like anything I do, or if you like the guests, you don't even have to, you know, be interested in me. Who cares about that guy? Find links for all three of those things in this episode's links at sifpod.fun. Many research sources this week. Here are some key ones. A great podcast episode from the incredible team at 99% Invisible. The episode is called Froebel's Gifts. It's produced by Kurt Kolstead, and it's hosted by the coolest voice in the business, Roman Mars. A great email newsletter slash article from tedium.co. It's entitled Building Blocks Literally, and it's written by Ernie Smith. We also have a digital museum exhibit for you. You don't have have to go anywhere out. You can just see it online. The exhibit is about the Lincoln Logs Company and its Wright Origins, W-R-I-G-H-T. That exhibit is part of the Made in Chicago Digital Museum, and it's curated by Andrew Clayman. Find those and more sources in this episode's links at sifpod.fun. And beyond all that, our theme music is Unbroken, Unshaven by The Budos Band. The Budos Band's next album is called Long in the Tooth. It releases October 9th. Pre-order your copy at daptonerecords.com. Our show logo is by artist Burton Durand. See more of Bert's art on Instagram, at Burt Durand. Special thanks to Chris Souza for audio mastering on this episode. Extra, extra special thanks go to our patrons. You make this show a thing. I hope you'll love this week's bonus show. And thank you to all our listeners. I am thrilled to say we will be back next week with more Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. So how about that? Talk to you then. <laughs>